Church family, welcome to our online service for this weekend. Um, so thankful to have an opportunity to be with each of you uh, in this way as we um, get in God's Word and find strength and encouragement uh, in the Word of God today. So we're going to be in Mark 14, uh, verses 12 to 26. If you want to go ahead and uh, open your scriptures uh, there, uh, we'll get there in just a moment. Before we get there, I just want to kind of get us centered uh, for just a moment. Uh, centered in the simplicity of the gospel message. The message of Christianity is that God became a man named Jesus. And he came, Jesus came, and he lived on the earth, and he taught us the way of the kingdom of God so that we would know what God is like. Uh, Paul says in his letter to the church in Colossae, Colossians 1:15, that Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. Jesus came, God became a man, Jesus came to redeem people. That is, uh, Jesus came to save us. Which begs the question, what did people need saving from? Uh, we, each person, we need saving from our sin. We need saving from our rebellion. We need saving from our pride, which has led to a separation from God. And so we need redemption and reconciliation in our lives. How did Jesus, the God-man, save us. He died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the grave. This is the message of Christianity. Jesus died for us so that we could be forgiven and rose again so that we would have hope of life eternally. The question, simple question, do you believe this? Let me ask a few more questions for you to consider. Uh, can we mix and match what we believe about Christianity and still be a Christian? Can you mix and match some things? Can I mix and match some things? Can I find some things I like, some things I don't really like, and I'm going to put this together and uh, still be a Christian? Can I decide what I believe, what I want to believe, and what I don't want to believe from the Bible and still be a Christian? Or are there tenets, essential beliefs that we understand from the Scripture that make Christianity what it is? Can I be a Christian and not believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus? Like, I, I, I love Jesus, I, I love his teachings, I love the way he embraced and the way he loved people, but uh, dying in our place, um, this resurrection from the grave, I'm not so sure, the whole uh, virgin birth thing, I, I just, I don't think so. Can we mix and match what we want to believe from the scriptures and it still be Christianity. I'm thankful for apologists, uh, apologists uh, like Tim Keller. Uh, he uh, was in a New York Times uh, article engaging uh, with an author there, and he made this statement about this idea. And he, Tim Keller said, if something is truly integral, integral 
to a body of thought, you can't remove it without destabilizing the whole thing. A religion cannot be whatever we desire it to be. He says, if I'm on the board of Greenpeace and I come out and I say that climate change is a hoax, they are going to ask me to resign from the board of Greenpeace. And I could call them narrow-minded, but they would say that there has to be some boundaries to be counted as having a cohesive, integrated organization, and they would be right. And it's the same with any religion. There are some, you may be aware of who some of these authors are, but there are some out there who are seeking to rewrite uh, orthodox Christian belief. Here's one way uh, that some progressive theology is seeking to rewrite Christian orthodoxy. And it's this, that Jesus didn't actually die for your sins as an atonement for your sins in your place. No, no, Jesus just simply died because he loves you. He died because he wanted to show you that he loves you. So did Jesus die on the cross of Calvary to satisfy God's holy justice and by doing so atone for the sins of the world? Or or is Jesus dying for us in our place, substitutionary atonement? Is that just a piece of the puzzle that we can kind of have in there or remove if we don't? like it. The very purpose of Jesus's death is found in our passage today as Jesus inaugurates the new covenant coming to the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper or communion. And I would say this to you, uh, it is essential, the death of Jesus for our sins, the death of Jesus, is essential to Christianity and Christian faith, along with the belief that Jesus rose from the grave. Again, the very purpose of Jesus' death is found in our passage today. So uh, let's read this again. It's Mark 14, verses 12 to 16, uh, entitled uh, the message, Remember. You'll see that as we read through this. Let me just read through this uh, with you now. So Mark 14, verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, I'll explain that to you in just a minute. When they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples, this is a Jewish, this is an annual Jewish feast, happens annually once a year. So this is happening in Jerusalem. Jesus is with his disciples. His disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover, to eat the lamb of the Passover feast. Where are we going to do this together? And so Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. This won't be too hard for them to find a man carrying uh, water. Typically, it was women or children that was doing uh, that chore. So to find a man doing that chore would be different. It would be noticeable. So it would be quite easy for the disciples to find this man carrying a jar of water. And whenever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where 
where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. Again, eat the Passover is to eat unleavened bread and to eat the lamb, the sacrificial lamb of the Passover feast. Where's my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? This is verse uh, 15. And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there prepare for us. And so the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as Jesus had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came to the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now, if you remember from last week's passage, this is the passage right above this. Uh, Judas had left Bethany where they were eating at the home of Simon the leper and had left to go and negotiate with the, with the Jewish leaders. Well, now Judas is back from that, that negotiation, that betrayal, and now he is back with Jesus. And so Jesus is... Uh, making these statements. All the 12 were there. Uh, Truly I say, one of you will betray me, the one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful. Why? Because Jesus is saying that one of the 12 is going to be a betrayer. And say to him, and to say to him one after another, is it I? And he said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping the bread in the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes, and it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it and broke it, he gave it to them. And he said, This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank, they drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, speaking of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink, when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is the word of God for our time together um, uh, today. Um, remember, it was Passover time in Jerusalem for the Jews, an annual feast for Jews over a thousand years. The reference here, the story, most of you probably know, it's a reference back to Moses and the time of uh, Israel's slavery in Egypt to the Pharaoh, uh, Exodus 12, for your reference, if you want to go back and read that later. Uh, many of you know the story. God began to send plagues upon uh, the Pharaoh in Egypt so that uh, his people, Israel, would be uh, let go. They would be liberated from their slavery. Uh, God was sending these plagues one after another. And the 10th plague was that an angel of judgment would come upon Egypt. An angel of judgment would come upon each house, and the firstborn son of every house would die in that judgment. So God's people needed to be ready for this last plague, and they needed to be ready in this way. They would, they would kill, they would sacrifice a lamb, and they would put the blood of that lamb, they would paint it over the doorpost of their houses. And the angel of judgment, the angel of death, would pass over their home, hence the Passover 
feast that the Jews had been celebrating for a thousand years. They, and they had to also be ready to go quickly. And so to make, to make food for the journey, they would be leaving Egypt and they would be making a long journey. They would be making bread, but they didn't have time for the bread to rise. So when you put leaven in bread, it takes time for the leaven to make the bread rise. And so there would be no leaven in the bread. It had to be unleavened bread. Jesus, at, as he is instituting um, uh, communion with the disciples in Mark 14, he would have had unleavened bread. When he broke the bread, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been leavened bread. It would have been unleavened bread because they were celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. Uh, matzah is what the bread is called. It's just really crisp, flat bread. And that's what Jesus said. This is my body. He broke a piece of the matzah and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat. Remember, remember this always. And that's what the Jewish people had been doing for a thousand years. They had been remembering their deliverance from the Passover all the way back in their slavery in Egypt. Remember our deliverance. Remember that our sons were saved. We made unleavened bread so that we could leave quickly. Uh, the wine, Jesus said in verse 24, this is the blood of my covenant poured out for many. <coughs> Excuse me. Poured out for many. To which I would ask you to consider poured out for many for what? Um, I'm thankful for Matthew. He writes this in Matthew 26, 28. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The blood of Jesus would be poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins the very next day. The next day was the Passover. For the forgiveness of sins, whose who's sins? My, well, my sin and your sin and everyone's sins. This is the why. This is really important theologically for us to understand. Um, this is the why of the cross. This is the why, this is the purpose of the death of Jesus. Forgiveness of sins is the purpose of Jesus's Death. Paul quoting Jesus in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. Jesus told the disciples, "Do this often, in remembrance of me. Come to this table. Come to this space to to eat unleavened bread. To to partake of the wine or the juice. To remember that the blood of Jesus has been poured out for the forgiveness of my sin and your sin." And everyone's sin. It's interesting in 1 Corinthians 11 that Jesus says, do this often. Why do you think he said often? I would encourage you to consider this because we can be so forgetful, can't we? When we don't remember often what Jesus has done for us, we can get discouraged and lose our hope often. So we must never, the church must never forget the believers, the Christians, the Jesus people, the disciples, the followers of Jesus must never forget what Jesus has done in pouring, 
pouring out for many the forgiveness of sins so that we don't ever lose our hope. This, this is the purpose behind his death that we must remember forgiveness for sins. And this is why the coming to the Lord's table in communion is so vital for our spiritual health, for our spiritual vibrancy in our life. There's something really powerful that happens when we come to the Lord's table and we partake again of the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. And again, Jesus said, do this often in remembrance of me. It lifts our spirits. It reminds us that we are free, that we are radically forgiven and free. It can be a supernatural encounter where our minds are renewed to the promises of God when we come in faith to the Lord's table. The death of Jesus, his blood atoning for our sins, is essential to Christian theology. His blood satisfies God's divine justice or God's just wrath. And the um, kind of the, the phrase that I've already used that I want to say again to you is substitutionary atonement, the satisfaction of God's divine justice, penal law, justice, substitutionary, Jesus, our substitute in our place, atonement, atoning for our sins that we are forgiven and set free. This is Christianity. And so if someone leaves the belief of substitutionary atonement, that Jesus' death, that the purpose of his death was the forgiveness of sins for many, if we leave that belief, we leave Christianity. Jesus died for our sins in our place. Yes, yes, because he loves, loves us. And also because our sin, my sin, your sin, needed atoning for. The purpose of the death of Jesus was to give us forgiveness of our sins. I want to ask you a question to consider a question with me in thinking about Jesus uh, at the Last Supper in the upper room with his disciples, what we just read. Have you ever wondered where the lamb was in this supper? It doesn't say that Jesus was preparing food, the, 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 the lamb for the disciples. It just says he broke bread and he broke wine. Have you ever wondered where the lamb was in this Supper, because there was always a lamb that was sacrificed for the Passover feast. Something that I learned this week that I hadn't learned before is that um, the lambs were selected five days in advance of the Passover feast. So if there was going to be a Passover celebration uh, and there would be people at this, the there would be a decision that would have been made five days before leading up to the Passover feast that there would have been a lamb selected five days in advance for that Passover feast. Did you know that Jesus came into Jerusalem on the donkey, right? Um, historically, people call it the triumphant entry. Again, I'm reminding us, I, I, I think we ought to call it the humble entry. Jesus comes into Jerusalem humbly on um, the foal of a donkey, 
Did you know that Jesus came into Jerusalem five days before this? So there, there wasn't a lamb that had been sacrificed that Jesus and his disciples ate in the Last Supper in Mark 14. But the lamb was there that night. The lamb was actually speaking to them. Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the prophecy. That's John the Baptist, his first cousin, heralding the ministry of Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They didn't participate in eating a lamb, but the lamb was there. The lamb was speaking to them, and the lamb of God would be sacrificed the very next day to take away the sins of the world. The purpose of the death of Jesus is so much more. It's so much more than just because he loves us. He does love us unconditionally. Jesus loves us extravagantly. Jesus loves us fully. Jesus loves us. But the purpose, the purpose of Jesus's death was to forgive us as our Passover lamb. To which I want to invite you to this question. What do we do with this? What do we do with the message that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed as our Passover Lamb? What do we do with this? Um, Jesus was calling the disciples to, um, to action. He was calling them to put their faith in an action in the institution of the Last Supper. Take and eat. He was exhorting them to activate their faith. Take my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Take and eat. Drink this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11. Do this. Actually do this. Participate in this by faith in remembrance of me. And do this often, Jesus said. You can starve to death. A person can starve to death sitting at a banquet table full of food if they sit there without eating the food long enough. If you never take and eat, if you never take and eat, you can sit at a banquet table with a bounty, with a bounty, you can take and eat uh, and starve to death. We just had a little thing going on. We're just going to keep on rolling here in the studio. So what do we do with this? Appropriate the work of Jesus, his person and his work for yourself by faith. The invitation of Jesus to all of us as well is take, eat, drink, do this often by faith so that your sins will be forgiven by the work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Here's the message of progressive theology. I, I I don't want to admit that I am a sinner and that I need saving. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play Jenga and I'm just gonna pull substitutionary atonement right out of there. And so we are clear this message, this is a departure of Christianity. 
Uh, a humanistic worldview says, just do what makes you happy and then you'll be happy. And you play that forward and really soon what happens is this, this humanistic worldview leads to all kinds of pain. Relativism, just do what makes you happy and you'll be happy. Relativism of any kind is not Christianity. Biblical theology, essential orthodoxy, biblical theology and the gospel is this. You must admit, you must come to grips with, you must come in agreement with the truth that sin that every person has is a spiritual disease of the heart and it separates people from being in relationship with a holy and righteous God. And it is rebellion of our hearts to say, I will have this life my own way. It is pride that says, not your will, God, but my will be done. The prophet Isaiah said um, that all of us are like sheep and we have gone astray and we have led our lives to our own way. I would paraphrase it this way. All of us, all of us have gone astray. All of us are the one that Jesus is chasing to say, come back home to the Father. I have come to redeem you, forgive you, reconcile you to the Father. The gospel message is humble yourself. Um, Jesus alone solves our problem, and that is why we call him the Savior. And we humble ourselves to have Jesus come and save us. First Peter uh, chapter 5 says, Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. A, a progressive theology, the picking and choosing, the mixing and the matching, and a humanistic worldview doesn't solve our problem. Uh, this this idea that says, well, this is, this is just who I am and I, I can't help it, uh, doesn't solve our problem. Uh, working harder at being a good person doesn't solve our problem. Again, Jesus alone solves our problem, and that is why we call him Savior. How did he solve it? How did Jesus alone solve the problem? He came and he died in our place. He shed his blood as our substitute. Again, he is our Passover lamb. And his blood gets painted over the doorposts of our own hearts. And when that happens, we are saved both in this life and the next for eternity. So what do we do with this? My invitation is this, if you have never taken and eaten and drank of the work and the person of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, believe by faith, take, eat, drink, receive, believe, and be saved. Do it again and again. Come to the Lord's table again and again so that you will never forget his death for you.
The cross of Calvary, the death of Jesus, admits that you and I are in need of a Savior. There is no way to repay. I can't just be sorry. The cross says your sin is real. The separation that sin has caused is real. The cross says that sin is real. And the cross invites by grace radically invites every person come and let Jesus pay the price for you by his blood because he is our substitute. This is the message of Christianity. That night in Jerusalem in the upper room, a thousand years before Jesus celebrated the Passover feast and the institution of the Lord's table with his disciples. That night and a thousand years before, uh, lambs, lambs were being sacrificed. Lambs were being sacrificed. Every, every house in Egypt, a thousand years before Mark, Mark uh, 14, before Jesus is saying these words and instituting the Lord's Supper, every house in Egypt a thousand years before, they either had a dead son or they had a dead lamb in their house. And the only hope that I have, that we have, is that we appropriate Jesus, our Lamb of God, and His work for us by His blood and His sacrifice as our Passover lamb, and we paint the blood of Jesus over the doorpost of our heart. Again, as John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sins of the world. I am in need. You are in need. Every person is in need of a Savior. Jesus is real. I'm not trying to convince you, but I, do, I am a person that is standing here convinced. Jesus is real. His death was for me. I believe it. I receive it. I am forgiven and free. Do you believe this? I invite you by faith to come to the cross and receive the bounty of his forgiveness and grace and hope in your life. The plan, this plan, was set in place by God to destroy sin without destroying you and me. This this plan is substitutionary atonement for the forgiveness of of your sins, this plan is grace. To which I say, hallelujah, what a savior. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood, for me and for the world. Um, if you have never made this decision to say, yes, Lord, I believe and receive, I pray salvation over your life in the name of of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, this stirs me up in so much gratitude for the purpose of your death to forgive, to forgive, radically forgive every single person of their sins, to redeem and to reconcile us to God, to have hope and peace, not just in this life, but for an eternity. We embrace this message that Jesus alone 
solves our problem. And Lord, if anyone is watching, Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit you would give them eyes of faith to believe the message that sets them free in Jesus, who is our rescuer, redeemer, and savior. And we give you all praise, glory, and honor now, Jesus, our Lord and King. Amen. We're going to sing a couple of songs, and I'd really want to encourage you in this space uh, to find some bread, some crackers, um, find some juice, some wine, and to come to the Lord's table. Remember what Jesus said, do this often in remembrance of me. There's something powerful. There's something supernatural when we come to the Lord's table and we receive in a fresh way. It reminds us of what's true. It raises our gaze from our circumstances to the glory and the promises of God. I pray that you are encouraged uh, and uplifted today in our time together. God bless each one of you.